Well, what I love is kind of creating an immersive experience where you have all these kind of dotted interconnected things, which which potentially the players could explore and be immersed into. I love that kind of other world immersion. For me, that's that's part of the appeal of the fantasy genre is that, that ability to forget all of the kind of things which are difficult and painful about real life and be somewhere else and be somewhere else and be someone else. It's that, that ability to just tell endless stories and create endless stories with a group of people. And, and as the GM, yeah, it's as much of a surprise to me as it is for them. Jay's gonna bring me back. Give me a plus one to attack. Oh, 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 I want to come back to the dice. Whoa, oh, 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 I think I need some good advice. Hello, rescuers. My name is Che Webster, and this is Roleplay Rescue. Today is the first of a series of conversations I've shared over the period between the seasons with some of the most creative gamers I know. Today's chat arose from asking the community if there was anything they would like to talk about. Among several messages, there arose an offer to come and record an interview. I couldn't resist, and as it turned out, this conversation unlocked a whole load of inspiration for my own role-playing game experience. Big thank you in advance to my guest for hopping online sometime back in June and sharing this delightful and insightful chat. This is Season 11, Episode 3 Back to the table with Simon Williams. Simon Williams is a British artist and illustrator, as well as being the creator of the Legend of the Bones podcast, a hybrid solo old school Dungeons and Dragons actual play and dark fantasy audio drama. His evocative illustrations are inspired by classic role playing games like fighting fantasy and the classic works of fiction such as The Lord of the Rings. On top of it all, Simon is a husband and father and he's been running an ongoing role playing campaign for about four years and has plenty of experience with solo role playing to boot. Welcome to the show, Simon, and thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Che. So let's get started. Um, what is it that you like most about role-playing games? I, I think um, the thing which I, I love about it is you're only limited by your imagination. Okay. And I think there's nothing else like that uh, in terms of uh, you know, a, a game or a hobby. It, it is so liberating an experience to play a role-playing game. Mm. Uh, and that's why I love it. Absolutely. So when did you start? Tell us about that. So I think I probably would want to go back a little bit further, actually, than my, my role-playing hobby and actually kind of talk about how I got into the fantasy genre because that kind of was the, the starting point from it. And I remember being seven or eight years old and being at my primary school and a theatre company came, one of these kind of travelling theatre companies, mm-hmm. and they put on... Um, uh, the Hobbit, and you know, I remember sitting there on the the assembly room floor, um, being completely mesmerised when the figure of Gollum came out. Right. 
and then we went back into our classrooms and I we had to all draw a picture from it and I drew one of the one of the dwarves mm. and I think that was the the catalyst of my interest in the fantasy genre mm. um and then that from there it just kind of opened up you know a lifelong interest in in that particular sphere and it's probably a couple of years later that I discovered the fighting fantasy books. So this would have been about 1984. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was born in the mid seventies. And so I was about nine years old. Uh, I remember going into WH Smith's, which for your American audience is a, is a famous news agent in, uh, in, uh, in the UK. And I remember seeing these rows of books and the picture of, of death trap dungeon, which is quite an iconic cover by the fantastic artist Ian McCaig. And I remember seeing it on, you know, in the children's section of this bookshop and going, wow, this is just crazy. This is, this is unlike anything I've ever seen before. That's the uh, blood beast, right? And the, that's right. Yeah. The blood the, beast. Yeah. So, um, so I, I bought it with my pocket money and I took it home and, uh, and I read the whole thing that evening. I played the game. Um, might have cheated a little bit, but, you know, <laughs> I think that was kind of part of the course of fighters fantasy books. Um, yeah. And so, you know, really got very, very absorbed into, you know, the whole fighter fantasy line of books and, and you know, bought each one as it went out and mm. going with my pocket money each week and try and buy a new one uh, and love that. And then a little bit later, um, I started, you know, going to other bookshops to look for them and I started to see other things there. Mm. But normally, actually, it was miniatures. So um, I remember going to Waterstones, which is a, a bookshop in the UK, and seeing these rows of, of these metal figures and thinking, wow, this is mm. fantastic, you know, and bought some of those. And then the town in which I lived in, a games workshop opened up, mm-hmm. and that kind of opened up a whole new world of, of, of gaming. Um, and I think my first actual role-playing game was actually the first edition of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. Right. Um, and I really got into that you know big time didn't actually play Dungeons and Dragons very much when I was a kid mm. um I had the, the the second second edition of AD&D and I played it I was a player with with a few friends on that a couple of times but really it was the Warhammer fantasy roleplay that was my my favorite game and mm. probably remains so up until this day actually yeah yeah but it's a bit of a classic isn't it really it um, is starting as a rat catcher was always my fave so Absolutely, and those those absolutely brutal critical hit tables in, in in that game are just fantastic. Yeah, and you know, it again, it's also like a particularly British style of fantasy as well that I think very much broke the mold um, away from sort of Dungeons and Dragons. I think, or at least in our culture here in Britain. Yeah, and I think I think you're right. So I think is is that kind of grimy grittiness to it, which. Mm. You know, if if you if you lived in the UK in the 1980s, it was a pretty grimy, gritty place, mm-hmm. uh, and it kind of it kind of reflected society in this country at that time, and and in a kind of strange way. Yeah, it was kind of punkish as well, right? I mean, there's a sort of didn't take itself too seriously, and a little bit of an edginess to it as well, politically and sort of iconically. You know, lots of interesting um, imagery in there as well. Yeah, absolutely. And there's lots of black humour as well, which mm. kind of helps to kind of offset that that darkness. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, a little bit of, of silliness thrown in to kind mm. of help help uh, soften it a little bit. I remember I mean I I worked for Games Workshop eventually, um, in about ninety two, so as I came out of university. So I know that that was the point when they were changing and moving into become a more of a corporate entity, I suppose, and sort of Warhammer Battle was kind of coming into its box set days in 
whatever it was, third edition or something. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'd grown up through that period as well, and it was it was just wonderful, really. Yeah, it was it was a really a really good time, a real um, a real golden era for mm. for for UK role playing games. So yeah, great stuff. Good. And so that was your entry point. You um, you know came in through that way. What happened then? Did you drift away? Well, actually, there was there's kind of two reasons why I drifted away. Um, and the first reason was I had a small group of friends that I used to play role playing games with, and one of them um, suddenly became very interested in religion. Oh, okay. And then got caught up in the whole satanic panic. Oh. That was going on at the time and said i don't i, I don't can't play these games anymore because mm. you know they're the work of the devil and okay and, and then one by one my group kind of followed suit mm. and over about a six month period i basically lost my gaming group mm. because they all just gave it up mm. um and i was kind of left with you know no one else i knew who played role-playing games I was always quite a shy kid, quite nerdy, um, you know, and, you know, and you probably remember at the time it, it wasn't a cool hobby, <laughs> you know. Um, so, so that kind of happened. Um, I continued to buy games. Mm. I remember buying a lot of stuff for Vampire the Masquerade, thinking that was mm-hmm. really a really great new take on role-playing games. Never played it because I had no one to play it with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I probably hit around 17 and I started getting interested in girls. Yeah. And and it was kind of, well, if I were a girlfriend, I'd probably need to stop playing role-playing games. Mm-hmm. Now, you, some people are lucky and they can combine the two, but I, I was I was not lucky in that result. Now, like most of us, really. Um, that's all very understandable. And I'm guessing you went to university as well. I understand from your sort of background in art and what have you, so... Yeah, yeah. So I, I grew up in South London, um, and I then went to Portsmouth to go to mm-hmm. university um, to study study fine art, um, and then I kind of stayed down this way. So I live in Hampshire mm-hmm. now, um, a few miles outside of Portsmouth, and I, my my art kind of went in a very different direction at that point. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, it was at a time when when the art was kind of going through its whole kind of um, interest in postmodern art and mm-hmm. so it was it was a lot of installation art that kind mm-hmm. of stuff and so yeah. you know doing figurative fantasy work was just kind of mm-hmm. not not really going to get me my degree so I kind of yeah. I, I kind of left that behind and then I even I even then stopped producing art for a long time mm-hmm. uh, prob- probably about six or seven years I just kind of gave it up completely mm-hmm. also, was a bit disillusioned and then picked it up again in the mid mid uh, noughties uh, and I've been painting and drawing ever since. Um, but it's really probably only in the past five years that I've actually kind of returned to, to fantasy drawings. All right. So um, I know that from you know, pre-interview like conversation um, via email, email really, um, you were talking about how you came back to the table about 2018. So tell us a little bit about that. How did that come about? Well, funnily enough, you know, things are kind of quite cyclic, aren't they? So I actually, mm. um, it started out that I was up in my loft uh, attic for your American friends, um, <laughs> and um, and I found a box full of old fighting fantasy books. Right, and um, yeah, I was I sat up there in the loft for probably a, about an hour, sort of thumbing through them and, and mm. having a real nostalgia trip. And um, and I, I thought, yeah, is, is my wife going to really tolerate this? <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I thought, well, you yeah, know, what the hell? Um, yeah, I'm in my mid forties at that point. I thought, 
well, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna probably go through a midlife crisis pretty soon. Just embrace <laughs> it, Just embrace it. And I'm, I'm absolutely okay with that. And um, so I got them down, and I started playing a few, and and then my my wife. Um, just saw, I happened to see a post on Facebook about um, a fighting fantasy festival mm-hmm. in 2017. I think it was the second one that had been run, and that was in 2017. And and I thought, oh, I'd really love to go to that, but it was kind of mm-hmm. on the day we, the day after we were going to get back from holiday, and I thought, oh, I can't mm-hmm. do it. And then, you know, being the lovely woman that she is, she bought me some tickets for my birthday, mm-hmm. and um, and I went to this festival, and and um, and just completely reinvigorated. Mm. My love of 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 not just the game books, but actually the you know, role playing games. And I, what mm. I did is, then about a year went past, and I, I kind of got my old role playing books out of the loft as well. And it was around the same time that I discovered your podcast. All right. Okay. And started listening to that, and I thought, how am I going to get back to the table? And I decided just to go on Meetup. If you're aware of Meetup, it's mm-hmm. a it's a, it's a you know, web service where you can basically find groups of all kinds of different hobbies and so forth. And I was searching for role-playing groups and I found loads and loads of Dungeons and Dragons groups all over the place. Um, no Warhammer groups at all whatsoever. Yeah. So I thought, I'm just going to have to make my own. Yeah. So I, I created a meetup group and within two weeks I had seven players saying, wow. yes, please. Mm-hmm. Um, so we met up, we met up at a, a pub locally and we just talked about what we want to what to go do and um and a lot of them said yeah it's really interesting because you're you're yeah you want to play a game that not many people want to play right now and this is this is before the fourth edition was released Hmm. um so i said right well yeah let's let's play so um i set up a monthly game um which kind of suits my schedule because i've got a busy family life and Hmm. and, yeah a busy job and all those other things and uh, once a month was basically what i could commit to and um I said, well, yeah, I'd, I'd be the game, game master. And we just started playing. And we have been playing for nearly four years, hmm. continuously, um, uh, with a with a an, basically a never-ending campaign. Hmm. And what's really great about it is, is that, you know, those seven people that I, I play with are are really vested in it. Hmm. And they, that you know, I'd say that six out of the seven turn up every session. Mm-hmm. Um, and one is, is, is a bit hit and miss, but that's okay. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of okay with people dipping in, dipping out anyway. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I've been running this game for, for nearly four years and it's, it's been great and it's just been fantastic. And so that's, that's really how I came back to the table. And what was nice about it was that I have, I've actually made new friends who have the same hobby that I have mm-hmm. and we connect over that. Um, and over other things now as well, which is which is really great. It's that real sense of community you get from it. And have you stuck with the first edition, or have you moved through towards fourth? No, we uh, we actually um, we we moved over to fourth um, after about I think it was about six or seven months. Then it was released, mm-hmm. and so I was quite keen to try and find out what it was like. Mm-hmm. So we. We, we, we converted and started playing fourth edition. And actually I think it's a pretty good game. All mm. I think, I think they've done quite some, some really interesting things with, with the mechanics, which kind of iron out some of the problems that are in first edition. Mm. Don't get me wrong. I think first edition is an absolutely 
the classic game and it's got mm. a real sacred place in my heart but they were but it was flawed in certain mm. places and and even the people who, who created it admit that but what i don't like about it and i and i think it's kind of after probably playing that system for three odd years now is there's way too much meta currency in it mm-hmm. so, so one of the great things about first edition was it was so deadly you know it was mm. so deadly that you you know you had to have a backup character in your back pocket because you you basically you're pretty weak to start with and you're mm. likely to die and um but with fourth edition you've got a lot of merit meta currency and actually mm. none of the none of the players have, have lost a character yet um right. they only through voluntarily losing the character but they, none of them mm. have actually kind of died and for me that takes a little bit of the peril away yeah and i think for me with role-playing games that that point about you know real choices real consequence real mm. risk mm. It, it's such a core part of what makes the game so exciting mm. that if you put too much meta currency in a game then you kind of lose that edge um and it's it means that the the, the setting is has become less kind of dark and forbidding than it perhaps was back in the 80s mm. how have you maintained your interest then as a gm in this kind of rolling and ongoing campaign what's what's fueled it I just love I just love telling stories, mm. and and for me, um, what's really important for me actually is that it. That's probably probably a, a, not a great way to put it across because actually I'm not telling a story. I'm setting up a story, and the players mm-hmm. are, are creating the story mm. um, from from what I've set up. But what I love is kind of creating an immersive experience where you mm. have all these kind of dotted, interconnected things which which potentially the players could explore and be immersed into. I love that kind of other world immersion. For me, that's mm. that's part of the appeal of the fantasy genre is that, that ability mm. to forget all of the kind of things which are difficult and painful about real life mm. and be somewhere else and be somewhere else and be someone else. And um, so it's that, that ability to just tell endless stories mm. and create endless stories with a group of people. And, and as the GM, you know, it, it's as much of a surprise to me as it is for them because mm. I might have, you know, I might set a plot and say, right, well, here's here's a here's a bunch of NPCs and you know, here's here's the main antagonist and you know, this is what he's going to do or he, or she's going to do, and you know, if the players don't do anything, this is what's going to happen, mm. and then I just wait to see what they how they intervene or not. So what's it like? How, I mean, seven people is a fairly large table, um, I think, by modern standards. I think probably the average is more like four to six, isn't it? Something like that, maybe. Um, I prefer usually three to five. So tell me about seven. How's that working? And, you know, difficult, well, easy? Well, when they when they all are there, it's pretty difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it, it's okay as long as they don't split the party, in, but they have a, a terrible habit of splitting <laughs> the party, which is... <laughs> which is really difficult to manage sometimes. Mm. Um, and it's not because it's probably better to say it's not difficult to manage, but I feel uh, I don't like people having to kind of sit on the sidelines and not do anything whilst I'm kind of, yeah. you know, dealing with two or three people. And then mm. it's that switching between them, trying to make sure everyone mm. has a level of involvement. Yeah. And you could say, well, actually that's, you know, it's not my responsibility to, you know, entertain them or make sure that they're okay. But yeah, yeah. I guess part of my personality is that I want everyone yeah. to be okay. I want people to be having a good time mm-hmm. you know, at the table. Um, I think I think the reason I kind of accepted seven people was probably because I, I worried that at the start, I probably worried that a few might drop out. 
mm-hmm. or that a few might end up being a bit flaky and not turn up very often. Mm. And I wanted to always be able to play every month. Yeah. And if I had three or four players and two or three of them couldn't make it, well, yes, you can run a session with one person, but it's not quite the same mm-hmm. um, when you've kind of, you're designing a campaign for a, you know, a, a multi-person party. So I, I think I accepted seven because I had that fear. Hmm. <laughs> and then they've all turned out to be really, really reliable. So it's kind of, <laughs> kind of my own fault, really. But um, I, I don't find it too bad. I think the the big problem is really combat. Yeah. Because it can you, know, you can do a whole session just on combat when you've got seven mm-hmm. players, not least because you normally have to have enough um, antagonists for, to kind of let mm-hmm. them all do something, or you have to have a big bad. Um, and I find that sometimes is is quite a lot to manage but also with seven of them and, and yeah i've got a couple of them which are really they're really canny players they're quite tactical players and they really know the rules as well mm-hmm. so yeah uh, they they do a lot of outnumbering of my of my bad guys mm-hmm. and so what happens is they 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 defeat enemies quite easily because in 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 the warhammer rule set um you get quite a lot of bonuses if you outnumber opponents mm-hmm. and so you know I, I have to try to make in order to make them challenging enough I have to make sure that either I have enough that they can't outnumber them or I have a big bad or whatever it is. Um, so I think it's more that it just takes a long time to run through combat. Hmm. Um, but as a group, they gel really well. And actually, they're, they're, there's no kind of egos at the table. And mm-hmm. I've, been really, I've been really lucky, actually. Um, I've not, you know, I haven't got any kind of difficult players. They, mm-hmm. they, all, they all want to learn about the game. They all want to engage mm-hmm. in the game, you know, so some of them are okay doing funny accents and stuff, which is great because I love <laughs> doing funny accents. Um, I, I don't, yeah, you know, it's fine. People don't want to, but but I quite I quite enjoy it. And um, and they work together, and that's really mm. important. And I think if you you've got a group that are willing to do that, willing to mm. work together and see it as a as a collaborative endeavor rather than mm-hmm. being you know antagonistic towards each other, then actually mm. a, a larger table is okay. I mean, interestingly, I, I, there's a guy I know from my work who I was just talking to him about role-playing games and I was, he, he'd never played them before. And I was trying to get him interested in them just because I like mm. to kind of espouse the, the benefits of the hobby. And he said, oh, could I come along and, and observe? And I said, yeah, sure. So he's come along and observed maybe about six or seven sessions. Um, and he, he really wants to join the table. But I, mm. I said to him, I just, I just can't cope with one more. It's just mm. eight, would, eight would just be too many. <laughs> And how has it, I mean, how have you managed it? We've been through a pandemic and everything. And obviously you sounded like you started in the pub. Um, so how has that process been over the last couple of years? And are you back face to face? What's going on there? Yeah. So when the pandemic hit, um, we just went online. Mm-hmm. Um, and not all of them could join, actually. That was because some of them just didn't have the right tech or they mm-hmm. didn't have a good enough Wi-Fi or mm. one guy was moving house and he and just didn't mm. didn't have the the technology available to him um so i i, I kind of went down to a four four to five players mm-hmm. online um so i lost a couple and then a suit and that was okay and, and we, we just yeah there's obviously yeah they've got various kind of vtts and and mm-hmm. your discord we actually just use skype we just yeah. use skype just mm-hmm. did a video call all mm-hmm. theater of the mind yeah. um very occasionally i might screen share and put a map up Mm-hmm. um I waved my mouse about you know <laughs> but actually I quite like that it was quite old school it kind yeah. of it was quite um 
I, I'm not really into using kind of VTTs and stuff. I think it's mm. kind of, I can see the benefit of it, but I, I much prefer theatre of the mind anyway. So mm. from that perspective, it's, it was kind of fine. And then as soon as we were able to to meet again legally, we did. Mm. Um, and, and actually all seven players are now back at the table. So though even yeah. those two who basically missed out for almost, almost two years, mm. they came straight back. Um, and what I did is I, I kind of made sure that um, I, I knew I had a big, a big stall yard that I wanted to run. Hmm. And um, I kind of saved it for when, when we could all be back at the, mm-hmm. at the table because I, I wanted them all to benefit from, from yeah. that big arc. So, yeah, it, it, it worked okay. Hmm. Good. Um, wow. Okay. I'm jealous, basically. So, that's awesome. Um, all right. So, I understand. I mean, a couple of things that we, we'd spoken about. Um, uh, talking about you've been running mysteries as well is that right yeah yeah i mean, I, I think i think that's part of the nature of of um you know the warhammer fantasy roleplay game really lends itself to to mystery um game structures much more so than it does hex scores or, or, or dungeon crawls mm. and probably because the characters are so feeble when they start out you know they, they will last five minutes in the dungeon um so they work really really well and you know a lot of the early pre-written scenarios that were released for first edition mm. were were very heavily influenced by that kind of Call of Cthulhu yeah. style of play, so that it lends itself as a game to mysteries, and and, mm. and I quite like that. And I think yeah. I like that kind of investigative part, and you know, popping clues for places for players to find, and um, and kind of you know seeing them kind of go down <laughs> completely wrong alleyways, and 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 go off the, you know off the beaten track, and then. And then you have to kind of you know help them kind of come back, and and I just, I just really like that game structure, and I find it mm. um, kind of more fulfilling. Mm. And that's not not to say I don't enjoy a dungeon crawl or, or a hex crawl; they're, they're fine, and I, and I do enjoy them. And actually, you know, in in Legends of the Legends of the Bones, it, that's much more kind of hex crawl and dungeon crawly because of the nature of, of what it is. But mm. um, but I think there's something about the mystery game structure which is just really appealing maybe i just watched too many agatha christie movies as a as a kid you know too many miss marples or something or poirot yeah no i mean i think it is a rich game structure i mean it's been a scenario structure really and i think you know if the thing is uh, learning the three clue rule for me has been a big deal um i don't know whether whether you've applied that but that that was the big eye opener i think um when i played mystery stuff back in the day you know you get so many dead ends but you know, making sure that every conclusion you want, you know, there's three clues for that. I found that just does fix a lot. I mean, what's your experience been with you? Yeah, I think absolutely. I, I totally agree that three three clue rule, if you like, for 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 mysteries is really really important. Hmm. Um, and I think, as you say, if you, if you don't provide enough of that, then your, your your players can get get a bit lost and frustrated and all that kind of stuff. Hmm. I think. One of the key lessons for me is don't make them too hard. Yeah, make the clues quite <laughs> easy for them to find because actually, the, the the trap you fall into as a games master, I think, when you're writing a mystery sort of scenario, is is thinking that the clues are too obvious mm. and they're really not. <laughs> you know, because if you're a player and you have no idea about it, actually, it's not obvious at all. Yeah. And, and and I I kind of learned that the hard way because I, I put in some you know, quite difficult um, clues or and then you know my players got completely lost and just didn't know where they were going and I had to kind of mm. just I had to throw a hint in their way to, just to kind of get them back on track and you know so they didn't feel so frustrated um but 
I think that's really the key key thing, really, is that, you know, you have just make those clues relatively simple, but actually also don't let the players rely too much on themselves to solve mm-hmm. the clues. Remember, it's their characters that who have to solve the, solve the clues. Mm-hmm. So use use their their character sheets, use their yeah. stats and their skills and their abilities. You know, get them to make a perception roll, get them to make an mm-hmm. intelligence test. If you think, oh, yo, they've probably forgotten something from three episodes back, get them to roll an intelligence test and see if they remember it, their, their character, and then tell them. Because yeah, we, I, I roll a month, I run a monthly game. You know, something that happened three months ago, my players aren't going to remember that. Yeah. So yeah, I, I give them, I give their characters the opportunity by using the, the abilities that they have to, to solve the clues if the players themselves can't do it. Yeah, and I think that's one of the strengths I like about skill-based games. I mean, Warhammer being one of those, right? Where, you know, in a in a much more sort of free-form, Lisa lighter set of rules, you know, you don't have that mechanism necessarily. Um, but it's quite nice to just be able to go, yeah, kind of make a, make a check there for me and remind them of something, right? Or yeah. just throw something out there. Uh, the idea that the, yes, the player action activates the character's abilities, but equally that the character's, you know, remembering that the character is in the world and knows everything around. So it's okay to like drop those roles in or drop those tests in as, as, as clues and hints. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, they, and if they pass the check, you say, well, yeah, this is what your character knows or this is mm. what they find. Um, or yeah, they, you remember that, that person from the crowd, you know, two days ago that were, mm. it looked a bit shifty or, or whatever it was. And so I think that's the way to, to handle handle that kind of three clue structure in a mystery context. Mm. Um, and of course, the other thing about mysteries and why it fits so well with the Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay game is that as a game, the setting is very urban. Mm. A lot of, uh, you know, there's, there's big cities. Those cities are are dangerous and dark and there's a criminal underworld and there's kind mm. of the forces of chaos kind of trying to undermine society. So urban paced urban-based adventures really work well for that 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 game system mm. and mysteries work well in in urban settings yeah so so it kind of fits really well yeah and i guess your life in london must inform that as well um i know having spent time <laughs> down there it inspires many things yes yeah, thinking in terms of that, that yeah feel. Ab- absolutely and certainly you're know, growing up in the 1980s and going there and you know it was a much much more dangerous place, although now it's a much more cosmopolitan place, and that's mm. kind of much a you know, really interesting dynamic now as well. So, yeah. but now I live in in rural Hampshire, I have to use my imagination more. <laughs> right then, let's talk about this Legends of the Bones podcast thing. Um, so, this is a solo role playing game, blending in you know sort of dark fantasy stuff. Um, yeah, how'd you get into that? What inspired that? So, I think it was kind of a couple of things, really. I, You've been talking about solo play a lot on your show, and um, and I've always thought, you know, when when I was a kid playing role play games, it just never occurred to me that you could play solo. That was just like, mm. you know, perhaps if I if I knew that, I wouldn't have given up the hobby. <laughs> We've kind of you know kept, sat, sat in my bedroom and played them you know up until now. But there you go. So you know, this idea of playing solo was just really intriguing and really interesting. And the other thing you talked about on your podcast was was Tell of the Manticore. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so I started listening to that podcast and I was just totally blown away by it. Mm. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's really is a, a, an absolutely unique thing that, yeah. that John, John has created there. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not just that it's unique. It's, it's the production values. It's, you know, it, the, you know, the music, the editing, the, the, the voice acting, not just John's, but the people he has on the show. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And it creates such an immersive experience. But it's a solo game. 
And I thought, this, this, is, this is really interesting. Mm. Um, I'd, I'd like to have a go at that. And I, I kind of, I put it out of my mind. I probably, I probably thought about it for about a year before I did anything on it. Mm. And, and part of that was that I really suffer with imposter syndrome right. in all, all walks of my life. And I kind of, I kind of thought, yeah, nobody's going to be interested in anything I've got to say. And, and, um, and, and, <laughs> and also that, um, you know, I, I, could I produce something good enough? And, and listening to Tell the Manticore, you think, wow, this, yeah, the bar is so high, mm-hmm. so high with that show. And I thought, you know, can, can, I, can I do it justice? Because it would have to be, you know, at least half as good as that. For me, mm. to, for me to be satisfied, because I'm yeah. also a little bit of a perfectionist when it comes to mm. anything to do with my hobby. But I started, I started toying around with it. And I thought, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do an episode. I'm gonna do one episode and and see and mm-hmm. see what how how it comes out. So I, I did an episode zero. I rolled up the characters and I, I kind of thought about a, a starting situation, mm-hmm. which is a ship, which is a shipwreck. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I kind of. I did it and, and I didn't really have much else to it. And I said, I thought, well, what am I going to do with it now? So I actually sent it to John mm-hmm. and, I, and I said, I said, I've done this, I've done this podcast and mm. you know, it's think of it as a homage, think of it as a, <laughs> as a, as a, a tribute to what you've done. And if you, if you feel I'm treading on your toes then, then, then please say it, I won't take it any further. And, mm-hmm. but he was, he was so generous and so, mm. so um, supportive and and he gave it a listen and he said, This is fantastic. He said, Yeah, mm. you've you have you have really done something amazing here. And I, I, I was blown away by that. I was like, yeah. But for him to say that, I was I was yeah. totally bowled over. Um and I said, Okay, well, I'll 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 take it forward there. And 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 he was he was a real mentor actually and really kind of gave me a lot of tips about you know leading up to a launch and how many episodes to have in the bag before I did it. Because mm. if I hadn't known that, I'd have just put it out there and then you know be scrabbling around to do the mm-hmm. next one and, and be chasing my tail. But he said, no, yeah, have have a good you know six seven episodes you know under your belt before you even launch. So that, I then mm. spent the next three or four months just kind of writing and recording mm-hmm. and editing and <laughs> and well, you know how how much how much time a podcast takes. I probably didn't fully appreciate that before I started, but um, but there you go. But it has got a little bit, a little bit quicker. And then, and then I launched. I launched at the beginning of May, and and the reception has been fantastic. Um, in fact, I yeah. You know, so it's been live for a month now. I've got four episodes out currently, and I looked today, and I've had over seven hundred and twenty downloads in 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 that one month period. Which awesome for me. I'm thinking, wow, that's you know. If if one person listened to it and thought it was great, mm-hmm. I would have gone. I would have gone. Going, yeah, that's amazing. But for for over seven hundred people to do it, I'm just I'm blown away by it. And you know, we live in a world where we're so bombarded with content mm-hmm. everywhere that for people to give up their time to listen to my podcast just is. I, I'm so grateful. So grateful. Yeah, I think we can relate. It's <laughs> it's a weird thing, isn't it? You do this thing, and you suspect you're just shouting into the void. And then oh, a few yeah. hundred people come out and just come and listen. And the gift of attention that people give, I mean, that's the thing, right? Um, I think it's probably the third most valuable thing we have, our attention, where it's constantly demanded of us from so many different ways, so many different things. Um, but to take that time to listen to your show, that's that's just so generous. I, you know, yeah. So I, I can relate to that. That's an amazing thing. Why on earth did you go with an unfamiliar rule set then? Well, um, I guess I guess there was a couple of reasons. One, you know, I'd obviously heard Tell of the Manticore and saw that it worked 
mm-hmm. in a podcast format. And what I what I liked about it was it was very rules light, and that would give me that meant I wouldn't get bogged down with rules in a podcast, mm. which I think would be pretty boring. Yeah. Um, you know, and yeah, if you're there, kind of, you know, well, I don't know what that rule is. I better flick through the book and look it up. And yeah, you know, if it's too crunchy, mm. it just wouldn't have worked. And I guess the obvious question is, why didn't I go with Warhammer? Because you know, it's the game mm. I, I love. And I guess there's two reasons really. F- firstly, it's just way too crunchy. Mm. Secondly. Whilst I love the game, I'm not a fan of Games Workshop. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think I think they, and actually, I'm not particularly a fan of where they've taken the setting over time. Mm. And they can get a bit funny about proprietary stuff. I just didn't want to get mm-hmm. into any of that kind of headache, so I just yeah. kind of thought, yeah, I'm just going to leave it alone. Mm. So I wanted a kind of basically an open source mm. game system. So then, you know, OSR D and D kind of was perfect for that, really. Mm. So. Um, I'm actually running old school old school essentials rather than yeah. BX, but I mean it's it's basically BX, yeah. Um, and yeah, it, and it's worked really well. So I think that was the reason why, because it's such a lightweight rule system, mm. it wasn't difficult to learn. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, but what I have found I'm doing is I'm doing stuff I've learned through playing Warhammer, yeah. and and applying it to OSE, right? Which is quite interesting. So I'm using a lot more uh, ability checks than I think people would naturally do in mm-hmm. in um in OSE and I've done things like I've made I've made magic really dangerous like mm-hmm. like it is in Warhammer. So you know, yeah if you you know mages have to pass an intelligence check to to cast a spell. Mm-hmm. Uh and if they roll a an at 20 then they they overcharge it and you have right. additional effects. If you roll an at one it miscasts and you can have some really horrible things happen to you. So um uh, so yeah, I've kind of introduced things from the system that I love into mm. into the into the system. Yeah, and bringing that British influence is great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. I, yeah. And, and, for, and for anyone who who's listened to the to the show, and 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 if you go on a few episodes, you'll notice that there's a there's a distinctly um, British landscape feel to it, mm. um, inspired by by you know, the the land that's around me. Yeah, absolutely. So, how was your experience with solo play? Um, how did you find it? I think if I, I think if I hadn't had the structure of a podcast, mm. I might have found it a bit more difficult. Mm. Um, and what I mean by that is, I, I don't think it would have been particularly interesting for me, as a you know, knowing knowing myself, to just sit and you know roll dice and kind of record it in a kind of mm table fashion of what happened mm. uh, because I love that other world immersion. Mm. I need the podcast to create that for me, to create those, those interludes of role-playing that happens between the characters to, mm. to um, describe the world that they are inhabiting and experiencing mm. to, to kind of give it that kind of raw and visceral kind of feel about it. I, I couldn't have done that without the podcast. Mm. So I don't know what it would be like to solo role play without that. Mm. I'm not sure that would be for me, mm. but, but with the podcast, I, I love the fact it, it allows me to tell that story that comes up to that storytelling. Mm. I can still, I can tell the story, but I can tell it with this random element. And that's really mm. interesting. So, so I've really, I've really enjoyed that. The other thing I really love is that, um, it's something that's just for me. Maybe that's the mm-hmm. control freak in me. You know, it's kind of like, uh, I don't have to, you know, I love playing with my group. They're, they're a great bunch, really enjoy the sessions, but this is just for me. Mm. And actually in a way, you know, it's lovely that people listen to it, 
But if no one had listened to it, I'd still really love it. Mm. You know, and, and I'd love having that for myself and knowing that that was something I created. No, absolutely. I mean, I, I when I do my soloing, I found my increasingly that what I'm doing is fictionalizing it, you know, and yeah. sort of um, it is to sort of sit and you know, write the story that is emerging through play, do the dialogue, create and all of that. And yeah, it's a simple step, isn't it, then to record that and to you know, bring it to life, I guess. Well, I say yeah. simple step, you know, hours and hours of editing and <laughs> music and all that, no doubt. Because what, what you and John are doing is, you know, is an incredible you know, it's a piece of art, really, you know, and a generous and amazing thing. But yeah, a similar kind of principle is what I'm trying to get at, that you are taking what's emerging and then giving it some shape and form um, as a creative piece. Yeah, absolutely. And, and in terms of my process, I just, I, I sit down at the computer uh, and I start to write. And mm. and then I, I'm kind of I'm taking on the hat of the GM and then taking that off and putting the player hat on and thinking, okay, well, and obviously you, you can metagame it potentially so you have to be really careful about that mm. um and so uh, yeah, i put the gm hat on and i set up the the scenario and then i think what would the players do what would they if i was them what mm. and, I, and, th- and that's what i would know what would i do and then and then i go from there and then i roll the dice as i need to um the dice holes aren't live unfortunately yeah they are <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah because i think you know just from a recording and and making it sound really polished live live dice rolling just wouldn't work mm. uh, and also i spend probably about three hours recording the vocal which then gets edited down to half an hour because i trip over my words and i mm-hmm. or i listen back to it and think oh i don't like how, the way i did that or suddenly um, yeah the touch of my london accent comes out and i think oh no i don't want that in there and mm. you know it just takes time to do it no it does absolutely i remember when um, john and i recently we recorded a little bit of a live game together um and i remember when editing that it was like how many dice rolls do i need to dub onto this thing um but you know but we you know we did that because yeah you're right it just sounds a little bit better you know when you, yeah when you yeah. do that sort of stuff and yeah it's all good fun isn't it absolutely so yeah, let's just wind back a little bit. What tips do you have then for someone who's thinking about coming back to the hobby? Because I mean, that's what Roleplay Rescue has always been about for me, uh, three and a bit years now of saying, oi, get back to the table. Uh, what's your advice? I think the key thing for me is, the key thing for me is just to put yourself out there. Mm. So, um, you know, it's really, it's really easy, and particularly if you're an introverted type, uh, and I am an introvert, and, you know, I think lots of people who in this hobby are probably introverts as well. It's, it's really easy to go, oh, I don't know, you know, maybe I shouldn't, uh, you know, meeting new people, that feels a bit uncomfortable, you know, mm-hmm. social anxiety, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I, I know it's people I, I've kind of subsequently got talking to at my work and, and I've, 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 you know, particularly in video calls, I've seen like Dungeons and Dragons on their shelf. I thought, you, mm-hmm. you play role They're like, oh, I used to, but I don't play anymore. And, you mm-hmm. know, I'm like, find yourself a group. And what I say to people is, if you haven't got a group, if you haven't got a group, then go on Meetup, go on, uh, go on disc, join Discord groups. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if it's online, in face to face, whatever it is, you can find a group and 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 put yourself out there. Because actually, I think as a community, it's probably one of the most welcoming communities mm. that I've ever experienced. And I don't think I've ever come across anyone who's kind of uh, dismissive of people who are new to the hobby. They just really mm. want people to enjoy the hobby and be part of it because it's such a great hobby. Mm. Um, and uh, I, I think you know that's that's the key thing, really. Put yourself out there. Don't be afraid to put yourself out there. And I know that's easy to say and hard to do, but yeah. you, actually, you won't regret it. You mm. won't regret it. No, absolutely. And 
it's for me, I mean, it's one of those things that's washed up so many people into my life, if I can use that analogy, yeah. you know, like to, to be out there. Um, people come, people go, um, but actually meet fantastic people and game with them. And sometimes you get lucky and they stick around. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I, I guess the only other thing I'd say is that if you can't find the game that you want, make the game you want. Because mm-hmm. that's what I did. I couldn't find, you know, I wanted to play Warhammer. I could, I could, I could have found many groups to play D&D or or RuneQuest, or Call of Cthulhu, there, there were loads of them, but there was no groups for Warhammer, so I made one. And so if you can't find the thing you, you want, then make it. Mm. Which, of course, is what a lot of people say when I ask that question. It's kind of interesting. Also, it's been great to have a chat. Have you got anything that you particularly would like to add on, tack on, natter about, or speak of? Um, I think, um, obviously, yeah. If people want to kind of listen to Legend of the Bones, I'd be really, really grateful if people you know gave it a shot and, and give it a go. And if they do, I would really love people to tell me what they think of it. Um, you know, good and bad things they think I can improve on or what they like about it. That that's always really welcome uh, because you know, as you say, you, you sometimes feel like you're speaking into the void. But when people actually take the time to tell you what they think about it, then it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, just say yeah, thank you to you, Jay, because actually, um, you know, your your podcast was was really instrumental in helping me kind of had that that courage to get back to the table and 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 give it a go. And um, yeah, uh, you know, I love the show. I, I I listen to it every week, and um, and I'm a patron. So uh, if you're not a patron of Roleplay Rescue, you really should be. So um, that's all to your, all your listeners out there. Thank Support you. Jay. Be a patron. You're way way too generous, (laughs) but thank you. That's all good. Um, I will make sure like links to the podcast go into the show notes. So everybody, if you want to go and check out um, Legend of Bones, check out the show notes. Um, And yeah, it's just been, it's been lovely to have a natter. I um, am also just wanted to say thanks to you for reaching out because um, as I'm coming into starting, you know, another series, um, what people probably don't know is that Simon's volunteered uh, to come and have a chat today, actually. And I think that that was a, a really great thing as well. Thank you for that. Um, you're, you're, you're very welcome. And actually, yeah, what I just said there about you know, putting yourself out there, uh, you know, I, I talked about having imposter syndrome and you know, I was actually quite nervous about this. Uh, I've, I felt quite anxious even you know, five minutes before I came on board, you know, thinking, you know, God, how, how am I going to come across and all those kind of things. But I, kind of, I just got to do it got to put myself out there because actually you know if you don't take what did ferris bueller say yeah life moves pretty far life moves pretty fast if you uh, don't stop and look one round and once in a while you can miss it so you know just go for it simon williams thanks very very much thank you jay Big thank you once again to Simon Williams for coming and sharing his experiences with us. I'll stick the link to Simon's podcast, Legend of the Bones, in the show notes. It's a really good listen. Massive thank you once again to John from Tale of the Manticore for the roleplay rescue theme music and for inspiring Simon to do his own podcast. Thank you, John. Thanks also to all the Roleplay Rescue patrons who support the show through patreon.com slash rpgrescue. You guys keep me going and I'm truly grateful for all of your encouragement. Thank you. Most of all, thank you to you for showing up and listening. My name is Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue. See you again next time. Game on. Game on.